This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yeheyes Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... Even if these people go incredibly well, we see a cessation of hostilities, resumption of aid and the lifting of a blockade on Tigray and then political negotiations. There is no guarantee at all that your Eritrea will welcome that. That's crisis group analyst William Davison on the possibility that Eritrea could play a role in the Ethiopia-Tigray peace talks. Details coming up also. Burkina Faso is recruiting 50,000 civilian volunteers to help fight Islamic extremists. Central African leaders named DRC's president as a mediator for the crisis in Chad. And a Zimbabwean museum is displaying the remains of what scientists say is the oldest known dinosaur discovered in Africa. These stories and more ahead on African News Tonight. But first, our top story, the first formal peace talks between the warring sides in the brutal two-year-old conflict in Ethiopia's Tigray region has entered day two in South Africa today. So far, news services are reporting that former Nigerian President Ob- Ol- Olisogon Obasanjo is the... Uh, uh, he is the... Uh, Olisogon is the talk chief facilitator... And Kenya's ex-president, Uhuru Kenyatta, South Africa's ex-vice president, and also uh, the uh, Horn of Africa envoy, Mike Hammer, are participating as observers. To brief us more on the matter, we have in studio Abraham Zare, editor of Tigrinya Program on VOA's Horn of Africa service. So, Abraham, welcome to Africa News tonight. Thank you for having me. So... Anything you'd like to add regarding these secretive peace talks going on in Pretoria, South Africa? I think you described it very well. That's very secretive. We all know it has been extending till Sunday, the 30th. The negotiation will take for five days. And we know the parts. It's being observed by African Union, AU, uh, IGAT, um, European Union, America, and UN. So... There are reports uh, Ethiopian and Eritrean troops making advances towards the capital uh, of the Tigray region, Makale. Any Is that uh, a true statement? There are very conflicting uh, stories that's currently developing on the ground. Yesterday, or the day before yesterday, Tigray's president, the president government made a statement saying forces are invading us and we are protecting our, our territories. And there are other reports from Reuters uh, AP that the Ethiopian federal forces combined with the Trump forces are advancing and they are capturing like Shire, Adigrat and major towns are getting closer to the center. The center. So this is a surge in uh, a fierce fighting in Tigray. Uh, peace talks in South Africa. Uh, it seems like two different opposite uh, things are happening. Peace talks and surge in fighting. Uh, what do you think the TPLF wants from the peace talks, and what does the Ethiopian government want from the peace talks? It is very difficult to tell right now. Both sides say we are looking for peace. Again, fighting are going on the ground. And each part, for example, international observers or America, UN are calling for peace or cessation of hostilities. 
And people on the ground are calling for peace also. They are tired of war, but you never know from the, the top leadership what they're exactly they're looking for. So, uh, and, and one more thing. Uh, Ethiopian uh, government uh, has, at one point in time, designated the TPLF as a terrorist organization. So, l- let's say, all these uh, outside forces mediating. Can Ethiopia say you are interfering in our internal affairs? That has been the stand of Ethiopian government for a long time. It's been saying this is our internal affairs and nobody should intervene in our internal affairs. But I think due to the pressure from other sources, from outside sources like the UN, America and others, I think that's settled to sit and negotiate with TPLF, what initially they call them terrorists. Exactly. So, Abraham Zarhi, uh, editor of Tigrinya program in the Africa Service, uh, in the Horn of Africa Service, thank you for your input. Thank you. As the parties of Tigray conflict sit down to talks in South Africa on ending the two-year war in northern Ethiopia, some members of the Ethiopian diaspora say mass human rights violations in other parts of the country are being ignored. VOA's Carol Van Dam reports. In early July, Ethiopia's prime minister and a rebel group pointed fingers at each other for a mass killing in Oromia. The state-appointed Ethiopian Human Rights Commission said the killings took place in several villages of the Kalem-Wolega zone, about 400 kilometers west of the capital, Addis Ababa. Both the commission and Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed blamed the Oromo Liberation Army, a banned splinter group of the opposition Oromo Liberation Front, for the killings of hundreds of members of the Amhara ethnic community. The prime minister called it a massacre. A spokesman for the OLA said government allied militias were responsible for the civilian deaths. Kumlachu Kabede is co-founder of the American Center and the Global Platform for Peace, a non-governmental organization based in Washington, D.C. He says what has been happening in Tigray has overshadowed the killings that are still taking place in Walega and other parts of the country. The international media is covering much about the situation inside Tigray or outside in the However, the situation in the Amara and Afar region and that of the situation in the Wolaga area is not covered. So my focus is in that, in that part. Kabede says while the African Union and international partners are focused on Tigray, people in other parts of Ethiopia are still dying. What's happening, especially in the last four years, is massive barbaric killings, displacement, you know, uprooting people who have been living there for a long time, more than half a century. So uh, the situation has been very much in a bad shape, especially in the last four years. Kabede says that for decades, successive Ethiopian governments, including the current one, have conducted a massive resettlement program of ethnic minority groups. He says that under the current government of Prime Minister Abiy, various militia groups have been responsible for the violence in Romia against the Amhara community. The government has denied such allegations repeatedly. Kabede says there is no clear government position regarding the OLF and other militia groups, and that is the problem. A recent report by the International Commission of Human Rights Experts on Ethiopia and earlier reports by the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission and a UN investigation have established that war crimes and crimes against humanity have occurred in past conflicts. A United States Institute of Peace report last week said the conflict in Tigray has, quote, only magnified the impunity, insecurity and grievances, end quote, that have driven past atrocities. The report warns that could lead to even more catastrophic harm to civilians. 
Outside parties attending the peace talks in South Africa, including the United States, have acknowledged that mass killings have occurred in other parts of Ethiopia and said the humanitarian situation must be addressed. The White House and the United Nations have called the crisis in northern Ethiopia one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world. Carol Van Dam for VOA News, Washington. The embassy of the United Arab Emirates is denying reports that the UAE has banned visa applications from 20 African nations. A UAE spokesperson today told VOA reporter Ignatius Anor nothing has changed regarding the obtaining visa for African countries. There had been news reports in several African countries that the United Arab Emirates had banned visa applications from 20 countries. Earlier today, on VOA Daybreak Africa program, Uganda's Minister of State for Foreign Affairs, Henry Okele Oriem, told reporter Douglas Mpuga if there had been a ban, it is because of the number of citizens of those 20 countries who overstayed their tourist visits and worked in the UAE illegally. Oriem said his government intended to reach out to the UAE to discuss the issue. The world's top cocoa producers, Ghana and Ivory Coast, are boycotting meetings in Brussels this week of the World Cocoa Foundation on Cocoa Sustainability sustainability. Authorities in the two West African countries accuse multinational chocolate companies and traders of blocking measures to improve cocoa farmers' incomes. Kent Mansa reports from Accra, Ghana. Ghana and Ivory Coast account for about two-thirds of global cocoa production, but farmers in those countries earn less than 6% of revenues in a chocolate industry valued at more than $100 billion a year. Yao Atta has been a cocoa farmer throughout his adult life in eastern Ghana. He tells VOA that international companies are living off the farmer's toil while leaving them to wallow in poverty. Being a farmer is a tough job. I won't lie to you, he says. He says, we used to have our children on the farms to help us, but now they have stopped us because they classify that as child labor. I don't have enough to employ more laborers. Atta says Ghana's government must also re-examine the price it pays to cocoa farmers. Early this year, Ghana set the guaranteed price paid to cocoa farmers at $1,248 per ton for the main crop of the 2022 and 23 season. The price is lower than the $1.36 per kilogram set by Ivory Coast in September. Fifi Boafu, the spokesperson for Ghana's cocoa regulatory body, Cocoboard, tells VOA the well-being of farmers remains paramount to both governments. Regarding the boycott of the Brussels meeting, he says, chocolate companies and cocoa traders must show commitment to improving farmers' incomes. Clearly, someone is ensuring that the farmer continues to stay poor. How do you expect someone who is poor all the time to sustain an industry that is always making profit? Clearly, there's something that is not right, and we it is the, it's not the first time we're going to talk about it. We've talked about it, and we've not had results. There is the need for us to find different means of making the point for everyone to know that something is wrong. Four civil society organizations in Ghana and Ivory Coast have thrown their weight behind the boycott, saying the farmers have always been given a raw deal when it comes to pricing. 
Obedeusuada is a campaigner at EcoCare Ghana, one of the organizations pushing for change. How can it be that in an industry of 130 billion US dollars, the farmer only receives 6% of the, the profits? We think it's unfair. We think it's about time. We began talking about pricing as the most important, and I repeat, the most important issue when it comes to cocoa sustainability. The World Cocoa Foundation, a group representing 80% of the global market, including major chocolate companies such as Cargill, Olam, Barricalibor, and Nestle did not respond to a request for comment. Kent Mensah for VOA News, Accra, Ghana. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Uhib in Washington. Please note we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. A national museum in Zimbabwe is displaying the remains of what scientists say is the oldest known dinosaur discovered in Africa. The skeleton was found in northern Zimbabwe and researchers say it walked to the earth roughly 230 million years ago. For VOA, Columbus Mavunga has more from Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. The National Museum of Zimbabwe in Bulawayo is some of the remains of Africa's oldest known dinosaur, the Mbirisaurus rats. Scientists say it lived 230 million years ago during the Canyon stage of the late Triassic period. Researchers say the dinosaur stood at least a meter tall, was nearly two meters long, had a long neck, small head, serrated teeth, ran on two legs, and weighed around 30 kilograms. Michael Zondo is a curator at the Natural History Museum of Zimbabwe and was part of an international group of scientists that found the nearly complete set of remains in the Zambezi Valley on Zimbabwe's border with Mozambique and Zambia. We are looking at uh, having another uh, expedition back there in the Mbire areas. We are hoping to find more because if we happen to, to find this one, to us it's inspiring and it's showing that there's a potential of finding even more of these things that haven't been found before. The remains were unearthed during expedition in 2017 and 2019. Now the museum hopes to put it together for the public to see. Zondo again. When there are bones like this, it's very difficult to tell how the actual animal looked like. So it's my desire that if we had enough funding, then we would mount a dinosaur so that anyone who comes in will be able to see how the Mbirosaurus looked like this. Trini Dure, an education officer at the museum, says the fossils bring forgotten ages back to life. It was indeed quite surprising because more often than not, when you speak about dinosaurs, we always think that uh, it's organisms that never existed. But now the discovery proves that indeed they existed, especially in Zimbabwe. The discovery was announced in late August. 
but some are still learning the news like this 16-year-old history student Ngare Mekezwe Matanire who walked past the museum where some of the remains are being stored. I asked Matanire if he knew where the oldest non-dinosaur bones in Africa are being kept. No, no, I do not. I do not. I was not aware that there were dinosaurs in Africa. I do, I do not know where they are kept, where it's being kept. But there are dinosaurs here in Africa. They, this Africa. The discovery is a point of pride for Zimbabwean, and the museum officials hope by raising awareness they'll get enough support to put the dinosaur together and showcase it to the world. Columbus Mavunga, for viewing news, Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. Startups and small and medium-sized enterprises are changing the way Africa does business through innovation and technology. From agriculture, telecommunication, health, and so many sectors, young entrepreneurs are infusing vibrancy and energy into the African economy. Big business is watching and ready to support. Through the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and its prestigious partners are providing cash awards and mentorship support to three of Africa's top innovators chosen from 17,000 candidates from 50 countries in North, Central, East, West and Southern Africa. The Voice of America interviewed the top 10 candidates from where the finalists will be picked. Here is one of them. My name is Udubenga Bubale. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Grandmaster. I'm 32 years old. I'm from Nigeria. Uh, Grandmaster is based in Ibadan, Nigeria. I applied for the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition because the coaching, the peer, and the prize money will help us to support more SMEs, create more jobs uh, for more writers, and essentially scale our services across um, Africa uh, so that we can help more SMEs to attract the funding they need to grow. I mean, it meant a lot to me to be one of the top 10 finalists. I feel I'm energized and inspired. Uh, to essentially help more businesses across Africa attract the funding they need to grow and scale and make a difference. Funding gap in Africa alone is, in Sub-Saharan Africa is about $330 billion. And when SMEs are unable to uh, attract funding, what happens? Unemployment rises because people lose their jobs. SMEs are unable to grow. The economy worsens. And this is the problem that we're trying to solve at Grandmaster. We're trying to connect SMEs to funding. We provide them grant opportunities and then connect them with vetted grant writers to help them put together coherent, cohesive grant proposals that can help them attract the funding they need to grow and scale. So that's what we do at Grandmaster. We're like the Uber for grants. Over the next three years, we intend to help 1,000 SMEs um, attract grant funding to the tune of $10 million, uh, enabling them to create uh, no less than 11,000 jobs. And of course, this would enable them to lift at least 250,000 Africans out of poverty. Our work at Grandmaster empowers businesses to hire people. So therefore, we create jobs. Uh, we, we lift the economy, we empower the economy by virtue of our work. So it's a ripple effect. Winning the competition would be a huge boost for our work, for our mission and our vision to become the fundraising backbone for impact-driven organizations. Because when we are able to empower SMEs, that means more jobs. That means the sick get the care that they need. That means the unemployed are able to get jobs. That means more vibrant businesses are able to go to the next level.
That was Olugbena Ogunbuwale from Nigeria. His startup company, Grand Master, connects non-profit organizations to expert grant writers and opportunities for grants from donor groups and governments. The company is one of the ten finalists in the African Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups, organized by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's U.S. Africa Business Center. As Africa gears up, For the United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP27, in Egypt in November, the continent continues to face worsening economic conditions and devastating impacts from the climate crisis. Experts say deadly floods and crop-withering droughts are battering African communities, economies, and ecosystems. From the Kenyan capital Nairobi, Ruben Chama reports. Speaking late Tuesday at a virtual event, youth leaders regretted that extreme weather and climate change are undermining health and food security for millions on the continent, even though its greenhouse emissions are low. Ineza Grace is a climate change activist from Rwanda. We are also living in the era where we are having the consequence of the inaccessibility of the climate finance for most of our countries in order to have robust climate action. All of those tech promises that have been promised have never been accomplished. And at the end of the day, we are also a generation that does not want to sit down and just continue to be victims. That's why we came out to bring ourselves together. The World Resources Institute, a global research organization, organized the forum to focus on Africa's climate issues. Susan Chomba is the director of Vital Landscapes for Africa at WRI. She says at last year's COP26 climate talks in Scotland, nature was the top priority. More than 130 countries commit to halt and reverse deforestation by 2030. This COP, there will be questions around what has been achieved on this on the continent so far. And because nature is so relevant for Africa's adaptation to climate change, we'll be looking at key ecosystems in Africa. For instance, the Congo Basin Forest, the key remaining healthy ecosystem, extremely important for biodiversity as well as for food security across the continent. The World Bank says more than 750 million people still lack access to electricity, mainly in sub-Saharan Africa, while food insecurity and rising fuel prices put lives on the continent at risk. Rebecca Charlie is the World Resources Institute's Director of Research, Data and Innovation in Africa. Frankly, a lot has happened in the world since COP26 that is collectively affecting our abilities to deliver on these promises made to each other, including a deepening economic and debt crisis that is plaguing much of the global south and global north, and of course the war in Ukraine, which is contributing to rising food prices and related insecurity and subsequent impacts on energy supply and its unintended consequences on transitions, especially here on the continent. The COP27 Climate Summit will take place over two weeks from 7 November to 18 in the Red Sea resort city of Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Ruben Chama. VOA News, Nairobi. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokwili Abaro, and our engineer, Nashwan Kali, 
Thanks for choosing The Voice of America. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. Haiti in free fall. Criminal gangs are plunging the country into chaos by blocking the main fuel terminal, engaging in kidnappings, assassinations, looting, rapes, and the destruction of property. We speak with Keith Mines of the U.S. Institute of Peace about how to best address the deteriorating political, economic, and security situation in Haiti next on Press Conference USA on The Voice of America. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African Beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bubu music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Ndombolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African Beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 